Welcome to the broadcast. This is Mike Lee's In Context. And, you know, as I get older and I uh, face my mid-60s, I am surrounded by people asking me questions about this next chapter of the so-called golden years. And I've been reading quite a bit, and I often come back to Psalm 90, one of my favorite passages. It's the oldest psalm in the Psalter. And Moses, at the end of this, he says, the passage has always struck me, but twice he repeats this. He says in chapter 90 of Psalm, verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. And I think the aged Moses, who well into his 100s, is asking, did my life have meaning? Was my work worth it? And of course, we look at Moses and go, I mean, he was the most revered Jew in the Old Testament. So with that in mind, one of the individuals I've just come across in recent weeks, Dr. John Dunlop, he received his medical degree from Johns Hopkins University. He practiced geriatric medicine for 38 years, and he taught bioethics at Trinity International University, where we have some mutual friends. He now lives in the New Haven, Connecticut area, where he taught at the Yale School of Medicine. He's the author of three books, unless there's more that he'll tell me about, Finishing Well to the Glory of God, Wellness for the Glory of God, Retiring Well, and then Finding Grace in the Face of Dementia. For our younger audience, don't tune out because these are very important issues that we're all going to be involved with and facing probably a lot sooner than maybe we want to. But Dr. Dunlop, thank you so, so much for coming on the broadcast. It's a delight to meet you. It is my pleasure. Thank you. So let's talk first about your medical degree and how you ended up in gerontology. That was probably an unusual field choice 30-some years ago, correct? Well, it actually wasn't one. Okay. After I'd been practicing in general medicine for about 10 years, they organized the geriatric society, offered those of us who were basically doing geriatrics to take the board exams and become certified. So you were an early uh, pioneer in this, I guess. Yeah. An early pioneer in geriatrics. I'm sorry. I thought that was funny. Let me ask you about your first book. What motivated you to write it? The Finishing Well to the Glory of God was really came out of a course I had been teaching at Trinity and teaching in some of the, we were living at that point in Libertyville, which is about 10 miles north of Trinity. A number of the churches in the area asked me to teach. One of the persons taking the course was Dr. Chick Sell, who was a Trinity professor. And he came up after one of the classes and he said, John, you need to put this in writing. You need to publish this. You know, it's hard to get a book publishing contract, but I'll get you one. <laughs> you write the book and I'll see that it gets published. So we worked together and what a Wonderful experience that was. I'm presuming in that church you had a, maybe a larger senior population? We did. I mean, there were probably about 25 okay. took that course. When you look back on beginning, I guess folks never anticipate this is going to become sort of my signature, if I will, but you went on to write three books in this whole area. So obviously you're learning from your patients, quote, students, quote, friends, 
and you're seeing more and more inquiries come in on, okay, how do we really do this? That's correct. The challenge was that I was a terrible writer. <laughs> you know, doctors still know how to write. <laughs> uh, well, and you can't read their handwriting. My dad always said the sign of intelligence was sloppy handwriting. Otherwise, doctors would write well. By the way, as always, our show notes, we have a number of links Dr. Dunlop's articles, some of them are very accessible, very easy to read. Crossway Books does a really nice job of some of these shorter articles, segments from his books. But two or three things that most people are just not ready to face, Dr. Dunlop, when they're looking at their 60s and 70s and 80s. Most of us are so blessed in our lives God has been so good to so many of his people. It's just hard to think about at some point leaving our lives, leaving our mm. loved ones, leaving the things that we enjoy so much of God's blessing. There's a real hesitancy for believers to face death. And, you know, actually being dead is not that hard. It's the process. <laughs> yeah, that leads up to it. We don't like, yeah. I suspect you've seen a lot of patients and friends pass away over the years. Tell us about those that don't face it well and those that face it well. Well, I will start with my favorite story of a man who did come to the end well. His family has given me permission to use his name, but he was Howard Hawkinson known perhaps to some of our listeners as one of the founders of the Iwana movement. Yeah. There were three businessmen who founded Iwana, but Howard was my patient for a number of years. He had been through some tough times. He'd had cardiac bypass surgery on two occasions, and his heart was getting weaker and he came to the office one day with his daughter, and he said, Dr. John, we need to talk about what's coming because I'm starting to have more chest pain, and I know it isn't going to be long before the Lord calls me home. Hmm. That is a good thing to recognize. He said, and I, I want you to know I've thought this through carefully with my family, and I do not want any aggressive medical care as I come to the end. So if I have another heart attack, I do not want to have another bypass. And it was, it was about a month later that I got a call one Sunday. Howard was in the emergency room with severe chest pain. His blood pressure was dropping, and he was not doing well on a human point of view. And so I went down to the hospital and we chatted, and I said, no, I remember our conversation, and I promise you I will not do anything just to prolong your life. But I would like to do what I can to make you you're more comfortable. So he was okay with that. So we put him in the intensive care unit and put him on some meds. And over the night, he started to turn around. His chest pain went away. His breathing was better. I went in to see him the next morning, and I said, gave him a good report. And uh, I said, no, do you want me to just continue with what I'm doing? And he said, yep. 
But over the course of that, Monday started to have more chest pain. His blood pressure dropped. His lungs started to fill up with more fluid. I knew that he was going to go home to be with the Lord. Yeah. So I went down that evening after the office, and Howard was a very specific guy, and he took my hand and he said, John, I have three requests. Number one, your visit policies stink. That was his word. <laughs> You're telling me that I'm dying, but my wife and three lovely daughters are in the waiting room. They need to be here with me now. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, I have been very careful with my diet. Do you suppose you could get give me some chocolate cake and chocolate icing? And could you get me a cup of regular coffee? I'm sick of this decaf stuff. Oh, that's wonderful. His family joined him. The nurses actually ran out to Jewel and got him a piece of some chocolate cake with chocolate icing and brewed him up a fresh cup of coffee. He ate his cake, drank his coffee, kissed his family, mm. put his head on the pillow, and mm. got to him. That's something else. That's my dying will story. I don't think, well, I've often said, the hymn that says the things of the earth will go strangely dim. We need a new version of that. The things of the earth won't matter at all. You know, once we cross that threshold, even as a pastor and being around people that are, you know, either going into surgery or not recovering well from this or that, it's almost a bell curve of responses. I'm ready to go home to terrified about what, you know, could happen. And we lean so hard on the medical community you know, as a pastor, there are certain things I have tried to do to reassure people. But what have you done as a Christian physician? How do you reassure people? Maybe some who don't know, you know, Christ. I mean, the clock is ticking for some of us. It's very short. I love many of the old hymns. One of the hymns that I often quote is, Someday life's journey will be o'er, and I will re shall reach that distant shore. I'll sing while entering heaven's door. Jesus led me all the way. Yeah. And so many believers can just testify that God has been leading them all the way. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about purpose, how life changes as we age, because men, it seems to me they fall into two categories. They can't quit. They can't leave the job. And I've seen pastors, and I'm sure you've known them, they're going to, quote, die in the pulpit. I've had a number of guys tell me that. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. And there's others that know, I'm retiring and I'm out of here. And it's that, okay, what do we do now? What do we do next? I think a lot of guys that want to die in the pulpit or stay in their career, there may be a fear element. I don't know what to do if I stopped or at least an unknown element, vis-a-vis -vis the ones who retire and quit, they find out quickly, I don't know what to do. I mean, you can travel and visit grandchildren so much, but there are many more hours in the day. So give us some sort of, you know, Dr. Dunlop's prescriptions for how you face these big changes. And you started to ask the question there. A patient came to mind who had retired and he just couldn't quit. He worked and worked and went from one project to another. 
Yeah, I said, well, you know, maybe you ought to think about slowing down a little bit. And he said, John, if I do that, they'll start throwing dirt on top of me. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of guys, their identity is tied to what they do, not who they are, right? Right. And you take that away, and now who am I? You know, sometimes it becomes easy, not because of our choice. But in my own situation, I retired and then soon thereafter developed a neurologic problem. And I'm just much weaker. I mean, before I retired, mm -hmm. I was running half marathons. Now I'm using a walker to, to get across the, the living room. That's God's choice. That's God's plan. My job is to accept it and not complain. For others, when their strength continues, last week I read about a doctor who was just turning 100 but still practicing. Praise God for that. Yeah. I have a just now retired OBGYN friend, and he loved, love, love practicing medicine. Just until recently, he said, I think he had one or both hips replaced and he's got some, you know, shoulder issues. I mean, it's a very physical job labor and delivery. Just recently, he's had to wheel back, and, and watching him has been very educational for me. But again, I, I ask you the question, because you're the doctor, give us some prescriptions. How do we face, and I don't want to rush death or rush retirement, but how do we face these changes, Dr. Dunlop? Because again, most people are not prepared for, okay, I ran half marathons, now I got to use a walker. Well, it's only by God's grace and my wife Dorothy's patience as she wheels me around how much I've grown in my love for Dorothy and realize that's part of God's purpose. The other thing I think it's really critical for us to do as believers as we begin to think about retirement and coming to the end of our earthly lives is really carefully thinking through and defining what our priorities are. And our priorities move from being comfortable and happy to that God is glorified in all that we do and think and say. And if we can make that our priority, we become much more able to make wise decisions. Okay, I'm going to push you a little bit. Give me some specificity on how do I say this is now glorifying God in these choices. I think first we open up our hearts to the Lord and ask Him to show us what our priorities should be. I love the story of Mary and Martha you know, Mary and Martha both loved the Lord deeply. Jesus came to have dinner with them, and Martha fixed, I'm sure, what was a delicious, tasty, maybe even nutritious dinner to give to Jesus. Jesus was out probably in the rest of the house teaching, and Mary just sat listening to what Jesus had to say. Martha then started to complain and says, Look, Mary has left me to do all the work here. 
And Jesus' response was, she has chosen to do what is best, to just enjoy and relish time with the Lord. And I think that should speak to us, particularly as we look at retirement, that it may not all be just to get many things accomplished. It may just be the pleasure of sitting at Jesus' feet and enjoying him. You've probably seen as, and I don't want to be too anecdotal, but it seems people either grow joyful or grow bitter. There doesn't seem to be a lot of in-between. Has that been uh, true from your experience? Oh, and you can think of a lot of people who are kind of in-between. I'm kind of one of them. In one of your books, you have a nice little uh, approach to retirement. You say, take time to plan. You say, prayerfully determine priorities. Spend time in meaningful activities that pay eternal dividends. Expand on one or two of those if you would like. Yeah, Dorothy and I don't do nearly as many things as we used to do. But the hot point of our week is our small group from church that comes over every Wednesday night. Usually there's 10 to 12 of us and just spend time discussing the scriptures, sharing our needs, praying for each other. I know this group has been so wonderful for us. We pray for each of them by name twice a day, just really being involved in their lives and then shepherding them is such a privilege and, and a real blessing. Talk to me a little bit about what have you seen people do that are goal setting or change their priority? or said, you know, this will really glorify God. And and I, I do appreciate, I don't mean to minimize time with the Lord, time in the Word, because you can say no to a lot of things. But I'm looking for specificity for folks, because that's what they ask me. Many have resources. Many have freedom. Their health is pretty good. But they're really asking, how do I serve the Lord? You know, we were living in Chicago all of our work lives, we recognized that we would be retiring at some point and just started to ask ourselves, what will our priority be? We decided that our priority should be family. We had two sons, both of whom were active and involved in their churches and really serving the Lord. One had three kids. Our other son just had one. And so we decided we would like to see Sidney be more involved in kids and grandchildren. Since then, our younger son had a daughter. And then two years later, they had a set of twins. Oh, boy. Who are now two years old. And they have about five-minute walk from us. And it is such a joy to invest in those kids. And it's such a joy for me to see Dorothy's so fulfilled by uh, these two little boys. Cindy and I have three very close by, and of course we love them to death, but I don't think I've ever seen my wife happier than when she's with her three grandchildren. Again, let me ask for some specifics. How do we choose to retire, and when do you think that should be? Well, that will vary, but 
I think we need to start praying about retiring early, you know, at least 10, 20 years before you anticipate it. Start thinking about what your priorities are, thinking about what your values are, and what ways are you really going to glorify God. How do you see your abilities and your contributions at this stage in your life? Some of those things just take a lot of time to be praying, asking God to show you what his direction would be to further equip you to do what would accomplish his will. Again, in your book, you mentioned not retiring too early. You mentioned that we're designed for work. And I think that's the positive side of, quote, wanting to die in the pulpit or as my OBGYN friend until his mid-70s, he loved working or designed for work. You also mentioned calling and, and stewardship and other great topics. But again, as I congeal those, I'm just thinking about my friends, Dr. Dunlop. They have a hard time sorting through and prioritizing because we have ostensibly more opportunities now than we've ever had. And that kind of cuts two ways because it's like it's information overload versus, you know, there's too many things and don't do them well. And again, I've watched many people like you have, whether it's retiring early or on time or too late, they have a tougher time in those chapters than I think they thought. Yeah, you don't go to your Bibles and look up a verse and it tells you what to do. You just have to glean the the major priorities, then you have to match up the skills which God has given you, as you said, being a good steward of the blessings he's put into your lives. You mentioned in one of your books about the danger of a disappointment if we retire too late, and also you talk about addiction, which I found interesting, that work can be an addiction And I'm running in my mind going, that can be displaced to another thing. Once I retire, I can get too addicted to, you know, fill in the blank, whether it's golf or fishing or money or maybe inappropriate things. Yes. I've never been a golfer. I tell people I'm afraid of a golf course because (laughs) when I was growing up, Dunlop made these little white balls. And people used to take clubs and beat those little balls. And I I just said, wait a minute, I don't want to be on the golf course. I guess the same could be said for tires, right? Yeah, Dunlop radials. But back to disappointment. Again, I'm sure you've seen men in particular who face retirement and it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Yeah, the statistics are pretty clear. About 40% of men, when they retire, end up getting another job. So what does that tell us? Be careful and don't be embarrassed if you feel you need to get back into the workforce. Again, I've got some peer we joke about going to work for Amazon because they need drivers or whatever. And it's, but it always goes back to that. My identity is not what I do. It's who I am. But I think it's easier to say, I'm a doctor, I'm a pastor, I'm a you know businessman or whatever, as opposed to yeah, I help out with, you know, X, Y, Z. My older brother 
I've been very impressed with he's an ongoing educator. So he takes courses where he lives and he learns and he exposes himself to new things. And I've been so impressed with that. My father went down to the VA and started volunteering, moving patients in a wheelchair from point A to point B and got more and more involved serving VA patients. And I applaud people like that. But then I ask myself, am I just just replacing what I did before, you know, to do another thing? No, there's many of these situations. There's neither right nor wrong. It's how the Lord would lead and what your abilities are, but also how are you going to glorify God? What brings you the most joy in this chapter of life? For me, with my disability, probably when we sit in church on Sunday morning mm. and these two little guys come running up, climb my grandpa's lap, and just want to be hugged. Yeah, it's the old adage about, you know, unconditional love between a grandparent and a grandchild because you don't have to be the disciplinarian and you give them undivided attention. So what's not to like, right? <laughs> it's a sweet, sweet relationship. You mentioned your wife. What brings her joy at this chapter? You know, it's much joy. Dorothy, actually, she was a professor of medicine and she spends most of her career helping younger doctors find their direction. She has a weekly Thursday afternoon meeting with her staff at Northwestern, where she was employed for years. That gives her a lot of joy, but nothing to compare with the kids coming over. Dr. John Dunlop, a retired physician as well as a prolific author will have all the information in the show notes about his three books. I highly encourage you to pick them up and start thinking about it now, whether you're even in your late 30s or early 40s, it comes on as quickly and the runway gets shorter and shorter. And it's been my concern. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Dr. Dunlop, is I see very few people with a deliberate, intentional plan about how to serve the Lord, how to find joy. I mean, we've worked so hard to get to this point. What do I now do? You know, for me, I'm not anti-golf. I just don't see playing golf and traveling as the only things I would do that I worked all these years for to go do those things. I'm not against them, but I just find them a little hollow at times when I think about, as you mentioned, how I glorify Christ, how I serve not becoming cynical or too ornery, you know, get off my lawn, which is my tendency. But any final words for our friends? I would add retirement is a wonderful age to invest in younger people, particularly who are headed in the direction of your career. We were so impressed at church a couple of years ago. We were going to kind of the young people's church in Chicago just to actually walk by Moody Bible Institute each day on the, on the way to church. And a young woman came up and she said, you two have gray hair. Could I ask you some questions? <laughs> I love it. And you know, as well as me, it's very rare to look around and find older couples that are still together and still enjoying life and going places and I call it imperceptible influence. We don't know how God might be using the simple things of 
hugging our wife or opening a car door, you know, or vice versa, if one of us has some trouble helping the other one out. So anyway, Dr. John Dunlop, again, all his books and information, as always, are in the show notes. I encourage you to pick up some of the books, flip through them. We didn't talk about the dementia. He's got a book on finding grace in the face of dementia. So if you or a loved one is facing that in your family or maybe your husband or wife, a great resource for you to invest in. Doctor, thank you so much for your time and God bless you and give your wife Dorothy our greetings and thank you so much for your time, sir. It's a pleasure just to share. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.